Amen. Praise the Lord. Once again, I'm sent some PDF notes, so you'll get a full, all the scriptures and all the points I'm making, I think, later. Uh, if you wish, I've sent them to the office there. Uh, but you can take just prophetic notes, I guess, mostly as God speaks to you through the session. So in this second part, a life of faith and prayer, we'll look more at the issue of prayer. And to do that, I want to focus primarily emanating out of John chapter 15, where Jesus says this to his disciples. I, I love it. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, then, then you will pray. Then you will ask for anything you wish and you will have it. And that word then just jumped out at me recently about the importance of the word then. How do we pray? If you remain in me and my word is a life in you, if you remain in me and you've got a living prophetic word, then you'll pray from that word. You get the point? And often people will complain, oh, I don't go to the prayer meeting because the prayer meeting's dead. I sit down to pray, but I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored after five minutes. I don't seem to be able to enter into my prayer life. So true. So true of many Christians. And so the opposite of what Jesus shows us. But this scripture analyzes the root of the problem. There's no living prophetic word. If you remain in me and my words are alive in you, think of a time when you received a word from God for some, it was not difficult to pray. No, 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 it was not difficult. Based on the, 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 the fire of the prophetic, you were pouring out prayers because you were in Christ. His word was in you. And this for me is a, is a huge Scripture, keeping that word alive. Scripture says, faith, we're moving from faith into prayer. Faith comes by hearing. So here's the word, and now I'm praying it. But that word has to be, oh, it has to be repetitive. It has to be consistent. Oh, may God help us for lack of consistency or McDonald's mindset fast food culture. It's, I'm sorry guys, I know we've heard that a thousand times, but it's true. The reality is, I'm telling you in my life, I need a daily walk with God. That's what I need. I need every single day, every day when my eyes open, I need to connect with God. If you've ever had a cat, I'm sure most of you at some time in your lives and history, you will have had a cat, right? I love, my cat died. Her name was Honey. <laughs> Beautiful cat. Let me tell you something about cats. Every single day, I get up, okay? I come downstairs and that cat will start to cry as if she's going to die of starvation, Meow, 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 meow. And she's asking me for food. Give me food. You're not going to give me food. And every day for 15 years, I feed my cat. 
But it's almost as if the cat forgets yesterday. And every day is a new panic. Meow, meow, I fed you yesterday. What's all the tears about? What's all the crying of? Every day, the same thing. Every day, I have to get the cat biscuits. Every day, you forget so quick. Really, we're not much different from that. You know, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. It's pride when I think I prayed yesterday, I'm all right. It's pride. We weren't built like that. We weren't built like that. We were built for that walk of faith. We were built, there's a dependency there. Where's my, have I ever asked you if you love me? (laughs) How often have you asked me if I love you? Every day. Every day the same. (laughs) Right? True, yes. Thank thank you for that vote of support. (laughs) Every day the same. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you? Lo- it doesn't matter how often I say it. Every day is a brand new day. Now, you know what I said to her the other day. She said, do you love me? I love you. I love you. So what I said to her the other day, look, look, look. Yes, I'm going to say this one last time. Yes, I love you. I have always loved you. And I will always love you. Now, if you don't mind, would you write that down? And the next time you forget, just read it. Put it on the wall. <laughs> then you, you, you just look at it and you'll be able to read it. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but God has given you, God has given you his word. So that every day when I think that I don't need it, I'm going into deception. I'm being deceived. I'm being deceived. I tell you, I get up very early. I've done that all my life. I love getting up early. There's only one person up before me. The devil. (laughs) There's no wrong answers here. Don't worry about it. The devil is up. The devil is waiting. He's waiting for me to open my eyes so that he can start insinuating that God doesn't love you. God's not with you. You can't make it. He's waiting for my moment of awake, so he can start his battering ram. My dad, thank God for my father, I I kind of followed some of his habits. My father was a Catholic, a Roman Catholic. Deeply, deeply Christian guy. Deeply, deeply lost in God. I mean, he really was. But every single day, that guy who didn't even have a Bible, he would get up and leave our house about 6.30. And he would go on his own to an empty church and get down on his knees. One day I followed him. I followed him. And I, he, he, did, he, did, he, didn't, he, he died. He doesn't even know this. I wanted to know what he was doing. <laughs> I was a boy. I was a child. And I followed him up to the church. I didn't tell him. And it was a very small church. But I sneaked the door open and he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Where's he going? Every day. So I w- walked in the church. Oh, he was on his knees. I couldn't see him. He was on his knees down there at the front. That's why I couldn't see him. Jesus. So I left quietly, but I never forgot it. Every day, 
Every day I need Jesus. Every day I need to plug into God's Word. Every day this devotional, you know, good religion and bad religion, guys. The Bible speaks of both. And it is good religion, good discipline to set yourself a time every day because it's, it, it, it's my act of humility before God. I need you. Once you start running off, running out of your house, you forget that, necess- you know, God is my necessity. I'm on the wrong road. I'm on the, I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself in danger here and I'm going to get burned. Father, would you keep the, the consciousness of the necessity of continual, endless prayer between communion, between you and me? Would you let me never leave that if I am abandoning it, if I'm getting proud? If I'm becoming independent, show me and grace me with the ability to to keep that focus on Christ because that's the truth. For me, I guess I've changed my whole perspective on prayer over the years. It's like a circle. It's like an, an eternal circle. I get the word. I know his word. It brings faith. Faith comes by hearing and that leads to prayer. Word, faith, prayer. Word, faith, prayer. Word, faith, prayer. That's what Jesus is getting at with those those disciples. If my word remains in you, then you will pray. Then you will pray. I am a very pragmatic guy. I'm a very practical guy. And I would say about prayer, I tell you guys, if prayer doesn't work, then I'm not going to give my time to it. I've got better things to do, right? It's true. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to give an hour. I'm going to get on with something else. If prayer doesn't work, I'm not going to pray. That would be stupid. But if prayer does work, it would be stupid of me not to pray. If prayer does work, then I need to be giving prayer all of the attention, all that it deserves and requires for me. And I believe prayer does work. And one of the things I need to do is constantly remind myself of when I know that it was my prayer that God answered. There's been, I mean, I'm sure this has happened for you. Think about this a moment. When did you pray? You, I'm not talking about anybody else, just you. When did you pray and God answered it? And you know it was you. It's good to remember those things. I, I, I was a bit like I'm doing now. I'm leaving my church here and I'm moving up with you guys in destiny. I was in a similar situation uh, many, many years ago. Uh, it was, I, I'd been in with, with a small church for a short time and I was moving to the, the church I've been with all these years. But there was two groups of elders. And I, I was going from one group to another. And I asked them for three-month break because I was tired. And the first group said, no, you can't have a break. And the second group said, no, you can't have a break. So I was going like leaving on Sunday and starting on Monday. And I was going to the handover meeting. I was tired. And I remember pulling over on the seaside where this was and just praying a simple prayer to God. And I prayed this, Lord, the elders are saying no. No this side and no that side. Father, I'm tired. Would you speak to the elders and cause them to change their mind? Listen to this. I go into the the meeting and the boss is not there. 
The boss is late and we're all sitting around and I have to leave here now and start on Monday. That guy's name was Roy James. I will never forget it. He came into the room like a man on a mission with his Bible under his arm. Gentlemen, gentlemen, Mike is getting three months off. (laughs) I'll never forget it. I was a young pastor and no one else prayed that prayer. Nobody prayed that. That's my prayer. That is God answering a prayer I know I prayed. Hallelujah. Isn't it? I still remember that. Still remember that because it was personal. When did you pray? Remember it. Treasure it. He's listening to you. He's hearing you. You've got communion with him. Consider those multiple times that that's happened. A few introductory points on prayer. Prayer can go where you cannot go. I know that sounds a bit of a pat statement, but it's an amazing statement. I, I, I played, about many years ago, I played the part of Jesus in a very large musical. I was miming, <laughs> just for clarification. I played the part of Jesus in a very large musical, about 6,000 people attended over three days. It was a professional production. And during the rehearsal, I was in Singapore. During the rehearsal, I, at one point, Jesus has to be resurrected. So I go up on a crane, way up into the sky. It's a massive aircraft hangar where the the plane was on. I go up in a crane, up and up and up and up and up and up and up like this, you see. And in the rehearsal, I got in the little lift. I'm standing there, the resurrected Jesus, and the guy pushes the button. And this is the, the, the building's empty. And I start to arise, you see, Jesus is ascending. The guy who owned the crane came running into the room and he said, stop, stop it. So they pushed the stop button and it was like I was half resurrected. I was 30 feet, 40 feet up in the air. And the guy screamed, nobody move, don't move. I thought, what? And he came over and he started to crank the stabilizers. It wasn't stabilized. They didn't know what they were doing. And the guys, he was furious with them. He said, you could have killed him. What are you doing? I told you not to operate it without me. Fine. I didn't think anything of it. I'm in Singapore. My wife is in Dublin. The next day I call my wife and she just bursts into conversation. She said, I saw you. (laughs) I saw you yesterday. I said, what? She said, I saw you. I was praying and I saw you and you were going up and up and up and there was danger and I started to pray for you yesterday. I thought, Jesus, 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 Jesus. The whole world is there. I'm 7,000 miles away, 7,000 miles away and God is able and looking for someone to put a prayer in looking for someone. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth, looking for someone he can put a prayer in. And thank God she was there. She was ready. She was a vessel. She was willing. She was able and prayed for my protection or I probably wouldn't be here. Hallelujah. Think about prayers. That Prayer can go where you can't go. Forget the distance. Forget the space. Forget the nations. We're sent to pray for those nations. Prayer can reach what you can't reach. 
You know those, we have a guy picks up the litter outside. <coughs> he has a bag and he has a stick with a trigger, you know, and he picks it. He doesn't use his hands. He uses a reacher. Some elderly people use this to pick up things. You know those sticks that they pick up litter with? That's prayer. That's prayer. That thing is prayer. Prayer, I can't go there. But my reacher, my reacher can get it. I can grab it with my grabber, right? Prayer is that for me. It can go where I can't go. It can reach what I can't reach. And it can deal with situations that are absolutely beyond my control. That's why we have access to God through this powerful asset of prayer. I think one of the most astonishing things in Scripture is that, can you imagine being with Jesus and you've just seen him raise the dead? You've just seen him feed the 5,000. So this is like, I mean, talk about impressive. This is mega impressive, right? By the way, I studied church history in Bible college in Cardiff, and I have researched in great detail the literature from the time of the early church. And there's so much, so many volumes, not from Christians, <laughs> Not Christians. The, it, the, the, there's military documents recording Jesus. There's government documents from the time of Christ, record, re, recorded writings, like, like the newspaper of the day, recording. There's a guy called Jesus who is doing things that we have never seen before. And they list what he did. It, it, this happened and that happened. Not just Christians wrote what Jesus did through prayer. But the lost wrote it. His enemies wrote it. The life of our Savior was recorded, you know, exponentially recorded. It's wonderful for me. What, but, and it shows me the, the awe at which people stood when they saw Jesus because they saw him raise the dead. A dead body is a pretty scary, horrible thing. I tell you, if you ever want to get drained of faith, Get up beside a dead body and see how much faith you've got. And Jesus was raising the dead. That's faith, man. That's faith. That's great faith. Perfect faith. Now, my point is, all of this happens for three years, right? They come along and they sit down with Jesus. What did, the, what did they say? Teach us how to pray. Ah. Teach us how to pray. They put all of the stuff. These are the people who were watching. These are the people who knew the inside story. These were the people who knew it's not the raising of the dead. It's not the crowds. It's not the applause. It's not the criticism. It's one thing. All of his power is coming from his prayer. I know because I was with him last night. I know because I heard him. I witnessed it. I watched it. It's the prayer. That's the answer. The prayer is the source. Lord, teach us how do you do that? How does that work? I love that. And if that's not my perspective, it uh, again, I'm, I'm going on the wrong road, guys. Lord, teach me how to preach. No, 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 no. Lord, teach me how to work. My, well, let's just get back before that. Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray how to enter your presence. We'll, we'll come to the gifts later. We'll come to our mission later. But first of all, it would be great 
to meet with you and talk with you and have fellowship with you. God help us. So, <clears throat> introductory points again on this topic of, of, of prayer. All the great men in history, ministries that are so diverse, we've had teachers, evangelists, miracle workers, revivalists, all manner of great men of God in history. Very diverse. <laughs> One thing in common, prayer. Common denominator, common denominator, common denominator. Everybody has that connection. John Wesley famously said, I am now so busy that I have to pray at least two hours a day. I, I'm going to say it again. I am now so busy that I have to pray at least two hours a day. So when you see those you know, great heroes of faith and everything else, and we thank God for our forefathers, never be fooled. There is a fueling time, there is a communion time, and in that comes their longevity in ministry and their efficacy in ministry, just as it did with Jesus. And I pray that you and I, we see that and don't negate it, don't try and go past it, but you will achieve more in prayer than you will ever achieve in doing. Don't exhaust yourself. Exhaust yourself. Like Martha, Martha, running around, all your efforts. Wouldn't you better just sit a minute? You know, if you take responsibility, go ahead. But I wanted to help you with. I wanted to come through you. So don't, don't throw this off as tick box prayed today. Absolutely not. They estimate the statisticians estimate that G, if you look at the Bible the overview of the New Testament, and you look at the scriptures, what they reveal to us about the, the, the time management of Jesus, Jesus' time management, and you categorize what we can see. The estimate comes back with the statistics. 60% of his time was spent with his father. Remember like Mark Mark chapter one where is he they can't find him again and again they're looking for him he's alone 60 percent with his father they estimate 30 percent with his leaders and 10 percent with the public but a very effective 10 percent they also estimate when you look at churches people like us we reverse it we spend 60 percent of our time with the people 30% goes on everything else, and God, if he's fortunate, 10%, maybe not even 10%. We reverse the whole thing in the pattern given to us by our Savior, and then we complain that we don't get the results. But the results were always supposed to come from God anyway, right? So I need to think, I need to assess my own time management and look at it in the, in the light of Scripture, in the light of what Christ did, and don't be sucked in or, you know, pulled in to the productivity demands of the modern church or the world. I think it's important to draw some relationship, the relationship between prayer and time. Prayer and time. I think you'll agree with me, right? In Scripture, we can see many occasions 
where Jesus or one of the apostles prayed and the prayer was answered instantly. Bang! Prayed and the cripple is healed. Fine. There are many of these occasions. But there are many other occasions when that is absolutely not the case. That is not the case. We see many occasions like Daniel's 21 days of prayer where Daniel not only had to pray one day or two days or three days, but he had to be consistent in that. So the question is often, because I've had this question asked of me as a pastor, and you will too, if you haven't already. Pastor, I've heard that when you pray in faith, you should only pray once. And then you should just leave it because you believe. And these people praying, praying, this is not faith. Should I pray once or should I continually pray? It seems to contradict itself. What's the answer? Well, the answer is both. And we see both applauded by Jesus. If you remember the centurion, he prayed once. Lord, send the word and my servant will be healed. It's great faith, Jesus said. So this guy is not praying for 21 days. No, no. This guy's bang. He's got faith. So there are... The answer, and he persisted, and Jesus applauded him. But look at the persistent widow. Her faith was perhaps little, but she persisted and persisted. Jesus also praised her for her persistence more than her faith. Her faith was little, but her persistence was great till she ended up with great faith, right? She, she grew her faith through her persistence. The answer is not pray once or pray often. The answer is both, both on different occasions. When I'm sure of it and I've got a living word, of course I pray and I'll move on. I do that all the time when you know something. But there's other occasions where that's just not the case. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because many of our members, they don't pray. They gave up. Oh, I prayed last week and I I prayed this and it just didn't happen. So I just, I've lost hope. I've lost faith in it. And we need to, to explain the gestation, the pregnancy that prayer is. That's what it is. It's like having a baby. The Bible describes sin and prayer in very similar terms. Paul says, Right, if you follow the process, often, most often, sin begins with a thought. And we are then pregnant. He says you have conceived of it. You've conceived of that sin. Now, once you have thought and conceived, Paul says when the sin is fully birthed, you give birth to evil. So you see the process? The thought... The sin is conceived and then you give birth to evil. This is the process of sin. But prayer can also be a similar process. A word from the Lord can come as as a thought. Sometimes it's a thought in my spirit, the spirit of my mind, right? It's a thought. I get that thought. This is what's going to happen. I have had the thought. Now I've got a baby. Now God's trusted me with something I have to, you know what pregnant women are like? They're very protective, so they should be. They look after themselves. They feed themselves right. They do the right exercise. They don't take unnecessary risks. So it is with a Christian, with a word within them. Behave 
as one who is pregnant be with the word of God. Behave, guard that word, protect and walk out until the birth of the victory is before you. So these two things, I see sin, it's like a choice. You've got a choice. You can give birth to sin or give birth to endless victories in your life. Praise the Lord. Let me begin the lesson proper this. That's just by way of introduction. As you look over the entirety of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, for me, there's four Scriptures that are foundational, and that I never move away from. I grow through. I don't move from that. I don't say, I've studied that, put it, no. I grow through these scriptures, not from them, not away from them. Two Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name would be the first one, two Chronicles seven. The second one would be Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your room. The third one would be Matthew 6, 9, this is then how you should pray the Our Father. And the fourth one would be Matthew 29. How can you enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions if you don't first bind the strong man? So I want to go through these one by one and look at the lessons that we can have in prayer in each of these because I don't think these are optional. I don't think they're optional for an effective, consistent prayer life. Beginning in the Old Testament, if my, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called with my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Just a few points about those scriptures. I'm sure you've heard a hundred sermons on this in your life. It's, it's used all the time but to reiterate our daily need to remind ourselves this is a it's a it's a sad scripture because it's talking about us my people having wicked ways so if my people this is not a a, a call to the lost it's not a call to the world this is a, a sad call to you if only my people, you're my people, my people, if my people who are called by my name, like my, my name's McKeever, that's my father's name, that is. That's my dad's name. And you're a Christian. You carry that name. And in some ways, this is an admonishment, a rebuke, you could take it many ways, but it's a, it's a cry from the heart of God. Oh, how I wish my people that I gave my name to would what? Humble themselves. God. I wish they would humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. In this session, we're going to be talking largely about the protocols in prayer from our perspective, okay? What do we do to make prayer effective? From the earth to heaven. Here's a question for you. What's the protocol in heaven? So when you pray a prayer and your prayer comes up, Peter takes it, for example, and he brings it into the throne room, what's, what are the conditions 
in heaven of your prayer being answered? Good question. I'll tell you what the conditions are. It's in my mind. This is me talking. You can disagree. No problem. This is what I think. You pray a prayer and it's almost like the justice of heaven, the courts of heaven. Your prayer comes up before God and there is an assessment. Is this person fully aware of their need for grace? Humility. And secondly, are they coming to me in faith? Grace and faith. This for me is the protocol of heaven. When I pray, it's almost like a heavenly assessment. Is this person coming to me in full awareness of their need for my grace? Are they humble? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And are they coming to me with faith? So yes, this is an Old Testament scripture, but hey, nothing's changed. May God help me consistently realize my need for for, for grace before his throne. My wife is an intercessor and she's a passionate, passionate intercessor. Praise God for that. She prays every single day here, but one of her prelims, one of her prerequisites of prayer is, Lord, if I have found grace in your eyes. That's what Esther said. If I have found grace in your eyes, could you I'm lifting my petition. I'm believing in your goodness. And we need humility. Scripture is putting humility. Remember, these can seem like opposing things. Humility and faith. No. Faith's not self-confidence. Humility and self-confidence, now they are opposed, aren't they? Not talking about self-confidence. Humility and faith in God are in no way opposed. In no way opposed. So do an analysis of both. May I come before God with fully aware, without his blood and his word and his salvation, I can't pray nothing. It's an honor to pray. And I need faith because that's the currency of heaven. Praise the Lord. Number three, and this is a, a somewhat controversial issue. I, I, I've had issues with this in different churches but for me, the Greek word for prayer, right? I mean, let's get really basic. But the Greek word for prayer is an articulation. You have to say it. You have to speak. If I, if I only think, like someone in the prayer meeting, for example, and I've had this many times, you get someone come to the prayer meeting every week and they never speak. <laughs> they just sit. You know, so you go over and say, <clears throat> excuse me, would you like to pray? I am praying. I say, okay, 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 okay. Um, but I would like you to say something. And some people just don't want to. So they say, I'm praying in my way. So like on, I've got like different messages I preach on the difference in meditation. Meditation is in my mind. It's called meditation. I'm thinking. You may be pondering. David did it all the time. Nothing wrong with it. He meditated. But it's not prayer. The Greek word for prayer is an articulation. It's vocal. It's spoken. God did not think the world into being. He spoke. 
Scripture says you will have whatever you think, say, right? You will, Jesus said you will have whatever you say. So we've got to be careful about the, the necessity of praying and encouraging people to pray. I don't care if they pray for one second or two seconds, but they need to pray. And I've had to do this with many people. Get them to start small. Just, I want you just to pray for the food. Lord, thank you for the food. Take the mic. Please, I want you to cross the line. Cross the line. Do you know how difficult it is to get some husbands to do that with their wives? Not easy. <laughs> oh, I pray for my wife on the way to work in the car on my own. No, 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 no. I, 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 she needs to hear your voice, sir. She needs to hear your voice. You need to pray out loud with her. So for me, it's a critical point which I can elaborate on other times. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I have <clears throat> one of the best worship teams I've ever experienced in my life is here in London with me. They're unbelievably consistent, unbelievably graced and blessed. They're just fantastic. But one of the things that I've had to correct is they're, they're musical experts, many professional instrumentalists, one piano, professional piano teacher, etc. in the church. And these guys exhaust themselves for expertise instrumentally. And on occasion, I've noticed how the quality of the sound, the quality of the instrument, the quality of the, the playing begins to take preeminence over the quality of the worship. And I can feel it. I can see it. And I have to call, hey, hey guys, can we have a little chat here? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. It's not about the instruments. It's about seeking God's face. I don't want you to become so focused on the music that you forget the God of that music that we're bringing that worship to. And so it is with prayer. It, it, it says, seek my face for a reason for a reason, because Christians begin to pray in some ways, almost like verbatim. It's like a, a job, like work, but forgetting the God to whom that prayer goes. I love that addition right there. I love it. Remember to seek God's face as you pray. Now, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And I join you 
completely in that analysis. And what I mean, and I also join you in in the question together to analyze how that works. And you know, do you know one thing about faith? It's never fake. It's not fake, right? My, when you've got faith, I know I've got faith. I don't have to pretend. So when I pray for something and I know I've got it, I will very definitely walk away and I'll not pray again, right? The prayer of faith, perfect faith. But there are other occasions which scripture would term supplication or intercession and many other terms that are not quite the prayer of faith as such. They are when we're going before God over a longer period of time. It's warfare in the heavenlies. And that may take time in the gestation. So the way I see it, both are true. One is based upon a living word that I know I've got it. I'm not faking it. And I pray it and I know I've got it. Then I'll pray once and move on. No problem. But the other is an ongoing uh, supplication, intercession, which is a different aspect of prayer. Yeah, no problem. But I, I thank you for the question. It, it's the heart of what I one of the things I want to tease out today. So that was Chronicles. Looking at the principles of prayer from Matthew then, I, lo- I love this. He says this, Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father in secret. Because your father who sees in secret is going to reward you. Now, several things in Christianity are done both publicly and secretly. Fasting is supposed to be done secretly and also publicly. There are times without a doubt that we as a church need to fast together. We see the early church do that, not just in the Old Testament, all over the New Testament. I think you can declare a holy fast. It's public. It's corporate. But fasting is also private when nobody knows. Both are critical. Giving. Giving is public. There need, I mean, we give to Ukraine. We're giving to, you know, whatever crisis comes up in the world. And we give as a body. There's a collective beauty there that we as the church want to bless those who need the food bank or this or that. That's a public giving. Everybody knows this is given by the church. Great. But giving needs to be private also. You do not know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So both are valid. Prayer is the same. Prayer is both public, but it is critical that it's private. Sad truth. The some people, the only prayer they do is in public. It's in church. (laughs) It's on Sunday, right? It's only ever public. And we need to exercise our... But when you pray, this is Jesus talking. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret rewards your privacy, secrecy. I see three things here. Solitude. Go into your room. Close. You're on your own. You're on your own. Of course, we pray as a group. I've just covered that. Go into your room on your own. Solitude. Secondly, privacy. Close the door. Nobody can see you. Some people like that public prayer and being seen. That's, you know, 
Jesus mentions that. Praying publicly, he criticizes it when it's seeking attention. Privacy, nobody can see you. And secrecy, nobody knows about it. Here's three questions for you on this issue. When was the last time you prayed? I don't mean our Father, a quick prayer. I mean you put your life to prayer on some issue, but nobody knows. It's a secret. When was the last time you prayed completely private, totally secret, and you never told anybody? When was the last time you fasted and you didn't tell anybody? You know, we fast and we go into the, I'm fasting. Yo, I'm fasting. We, <laughs> when was the last time you fasted and didn't tell anybody? It was private. Your father who sees in private will reward you. When was the last time you gave and nobody knew about it? So you begin to see the principles here. Yes, they're public, but the the, 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 the practice of private life. This is where prayer lives. Can I say also, just functioning as a pastor of many years, I've changed my strategy. Please listen to me on this one, guys. Coming from an old guy. <laughs> not all prayer is the same. It's not the same. I've come to my conclusion. I need to pray alone. On my own. And I should do that every single day. Secondly, I need to pray with my wife. She needs to hear my voice as I pray and declare over her. This gives her confidence, comfort, and love. So I pray on my own. Then I don't say to my wife, oh, I prayed for you when I was... No, no, no. No, 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 no. I need to pray on my own. I need to pray with my wife. Thirdly, I need to pray with my family. They all need to hear my voice. They need to be in my presence. Fourthly, I need to pray with my leaders. If I'm a pastor, I need to be alone with my leaders. These prayers are not the same. Fifthly, I need to pray with the whole church. I do it every week. So the whole church comes under the spirit of my prayer. And, la and there's many others, but pr there's prayer with fasting. I need to pray with fasting, right? Because some things will never change unless I pray with fasting. Jesus made that very clear. I could add a number of things, such as all-night prayer. We used to pray all night every single week, actually, in Glasgow, funny enough, every single Friday. I did that for over a year, all night prayer, every single week. I'm very, very effective. Guys, if you don't practice, just an example, if you don't practice all night prayer, there's probably going to be some issues that will never be dealt with. You're going to have the same problem for years. The reason why you need to pray and fast is because Jesus said, this kind of demon only comes out with prayer and fasting. So if you don't pray and fast, you're going to find a consistent problem because it's only you're only going to deal with that problem through prayer and fasting. In the same way, I see all night prayer. There's a reason why Jesus prayed and fasted and there's a reason why he prayed all night. Because he needed to. 
because some things were only going to be dealt with that way. And so it is with us. I like to take in the whole of the diet, the whole of the issues. Pray alone. Pray with your wife. Pray with your family. Pray with your leaders. Pray with your church. Prayer with fasting and pray all night, etc., etc. I just want you to see the expanse of this and the problems you may be encountering if they be consistent problems, stubborn problems. Think again. Maybe you need to pray and fast. Maybe you need to, you know, join with others and, and pray all night until you see that breakthrough. Um, time is rushing on, so I'll press on. Prayers of uh, the prayer of. Uh, The Our Father in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. I've taught on this scripture, the Our Father, many, many times in many countries. And I think once, if I can remember correctly, what I do, listen to this, right? You can play this trick when when you're preaching somewhere. I put the Our Father on the screen, the text, right? And I get everybody to read it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And I stop at verse 13, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those and lead us that into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then I say, eyes forward, what's the next verse? And I just put the question out. What's verse 14? And you would not believe it. I think once, once someone knew the next verse, you know, and they shouted it out. I thought, hallelujah. But most time people don't. Next verse, for if you forgive, other people their sin. Your Father will also forgive you. So teach us how to pray, Lord. He goes through the Our Father and then the foundation of all of this, the underpinning, overriding, most important point. None of this works if you hold on forgiveness right? Not just there, but also in Mark 11. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them for your father in, uh, so that your father in heaven may forgive you. So forg- as we talk about prayer, it would be amiss of me not to mention the need for me and for you to forgive others. May I mention, guys, and this is something we can deal with on another time. It says here, if you hold anything against anyone. Now, do you know what that means? Me, me. If I hold anything against anyone, I should go and say, can we make peace? But listen to this. It also says, if anyone holds anything against you, go and try and be reconciled. This thing works both ways. If I'm holding on forgiveness or someone else is stuck in that place, go and set them free. So these are like prerequisites to effective prayer that can't, they're not going to shift. We need to incorporate them. We need to employ them and operate in these principles to advance our prayer lives. The Our Father, you know the story. It goes into the importance of thanksgiving, the importance of a surrendered life. Thy will be done. The importance of recognizing God's hand in everything. Give us this day our daily bread. And I would just highlight, lead us not into temptation. The daily, even daily request, Father God, would you protect me, grace me with the ability today to resist any temptation that comes my way. That's a necessary prayer. I love it in the book of Judges. Listen to this. 
In the book of Judges, one of the greatest judges ever, his name was Samson. Absolutely outstanding judge. Wonderful leader. 21 years of victory. Victory upon victory upon victory. Outstanding. And then these various women in various places start to tangle him, tether him, and he begins to fall down. And in the book, he becomes tethered. He's in a dungeon. He's in the wine press, the grain press, and he's blind. And he's pushing round in the mill. Listen to this in Judges chapter 16. Listen to this word. Then Samson prayed. Then. Then Samson prayed. A bit late, Samson. The Our Father says, pray that we will not be led into temptation. But Samson was most certainly caught up in temptation, blinded, in bondage, and in that pit. And then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, strengthen me. This Don't wait till then. Don't wait until you're defeated. Don't wait until you're you know, bound, but make prayer your everyday dwelling place. And lastly, Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. How can any of you, and this is you in this room this morning, how can any of you enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless you first bind the strong man? Of all the principles I've mentioned today, this principle for me is the most neglected and it's the one that causes the most damage. Because people don't listen to it. They don't employ it. They don't use it. Let me put it in modern day lingo. If you don't take out the daddy, the daddy will take you out. How can anyone enter a daddy's house, a strong man's house, and take off his possessions unless you first take out the daddy, take out the strong man? I have encountered this issue multiple times. Do you ever see in a school playground, follow me carefully here, because this is a good example. You look at a school playground, watch this. All the boys are there. Over in the corner here, you've got a big gang of big boys, daddies, bullies. And amongst them, there's a little boy, smaller than everybody else, little problem. And the little boy leaves the daddy gang and he comes out into the general playground and he starts to pick on bigger boys than him and he defeats them all Hmm. christians defeated by small things constantly defeated you look and you think why are you defeated by this oh i see because this demon here this problem is connected to the daddy you didn't take out the daddy and so you can't deal with just the simplest of things And so constantly you see Christians destroyed by small things. You've got to get to the daddy. You've got to know behind, this is what Jesus is saying here. How can you enter a city like Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, and carry off the lost and see them saved unless you first take down the bully, the one who presents himself?